What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and last week I sat down and pretty much turned in what felt like a midterm. These were my dynasty rankings, my pre-draft dynasty rankings, official pre-draft dynasty rankings on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. And essentially the way I treated it was, these are my final dynasty rankings, top 290 Superflex tight end premium before the NFL draft. After that, I'm sure a bunch is going to change. We just covered a mock draft where like Bijan Robinson went to the Chargers. That would, of course, displace Eckler and move Bijan up. There's a million things that are going to happen. We're going to talk through running backs today. I'm going to give you guys my top 12 dynasty running back rankings. Just to sort of, I guess, assess the landscape a little bit before landing spots happen. Before guys like, you know, if Jameer Gibbs somehow finds himself in San Francisco, that screws a bunch of stuff up. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but we've seen crazier things happen in the NFL. So I wanted to get these out before everything changes. So with all that being said, if you enjoy this video, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like, and if you want access to the complete set of rankings, that'll be on patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. Let's go. Now, this is going to be a tier list video. We're going to break them up into tiers. My top 12 dynasty running backs here. We're going to have rookies included as well. I probably should have mentioned that. So that means we're busting out the tier maker, the tier list. You guys know the vibes. And up top, now I do want to say before I actually even get to the first guy, the rankings within each tier isn't all that important. The reason why I have them up in tiers is so you guys can sort of leave it up to your own interpretation, but this is sort of where I see the tier breaks in Dynasty Leagues. Now, at RB1, RB1 overall in Dynasty, we have Bijan, spoiler alert, the only running back in S tier. Now, we've been talking about Bijan Robinson in this rookie class all offseason long, so I'm not going to bore you guys to death with another long-winded Essentially, a Bijan Robinson, you know, just sort of a glaze fest when it comes to Bijan Robinson. There's really nothing bad you can say about him. Now, the reason why I'm so excited about Bijan Robinson and why I think, you know, there are some guys that are hesitant to put him at RB1 in Dynasty. And I think the reason is, is that they see him as uh, uncertain, right? He's this uncertain young running back. What if he's with Trent Richardson? And of course, that's always going to be in the range of outcomes, Probably a similar percentile chance of him being Trent Richardson as, you know, one of these top running backs tearing an ACL or an Achilles. Like, it's all, the downside is baked in across the board. Now, the reason why you should be really excited about Bijan is when we project him for year one, he is not just some other random rookie running back. We already have, thanks to Underdog, promo code RON on Underdog gets you a deposit match up to $100. They already have real money fantasy leagues going on. So, we have a snapshot of what the market looks like with money on the line and the consensus has Bijan Robinson as a top five running back in redraft without even knowing a landing spot which is absolutely massive because it puts him in this class of dynasty asset where his value is dual pronged first 21 year old running back youthful best prospects in Saquon he's going to hold a lot of insulation that way but on top of that he's not only going to hold a bunch of insulation as the RB1 in fantasy he is going as a top five running back in redraft, which means he's almost like Jefferson and Chase, where Jefferson and Chase are consensus top two dynasty wide receivers and top two uh, redraft wide receivers. Bijan is almost in that class of asset where he is a top three at worst dynasty running back 
and a top four running back here in the same tier as Taylor Eckler. And if he gets a good landing spot, he could go, I would say, as high as like RB2. So he has the same youth benefit as, you know, those guys like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, but he's already projected to score more than pretty much every running back not named Christian McCaffrey, which is crazy. Like even the Boomer Leagues, like I know Underdog has all the sharp guys and everything. You go to Boomer Leagues like FFPC, they're also taking Bijan as a top five running back at that one-two turn. So right off the bat, Bijan is going to produce like the upper end veterans while also holding the value of the young guys. So that's really, really exciting. You know, he's not like, like Jonathan Taylor coming to the league was huge. He was like a first round pick in Dynasty, but he was also like a third, fourth round pick in redraft. So he was more of an insulated asset than he was like scoring points right out the gate. Bijan's a little bit different here. Now, of course, there's downside. You know, he could be Trent Richardson, but when we talk about him as a prospect, he is one of the cleanest prospects we've seen at running back. He has, now, my RS grades at running back, brief synopsis on what the RS grades are, 0 through 10, the higher the number, the more likely you are to score a bunch of fantasy points. Bijan Robinson is in the legendary tier of the RS grades, which means that his grade caps out at 10. Anybody who has a 10 or better is in legendary, but I just cut it off at 10 because there's no reason to have like somebody have 17. But just for our own curiosity, I opened up the uh, RS grades before I cut them off at 10, just so you can see sort of how he stacks up versus the other like generational type prospects. And this is what he looks like. He is the fourth best running back prospect since 2007, if we assume that he is a first-round draft pick, and that's without yards created this year. Yards created is a multiplier I use in the RS grading system that we got uh, or we got from Graham Barfield. He's not doing it this year. Uh, we'll see if he does it next year. If he doesn't do it next year, then I'll take it out of the model, and we'll kind of reassess things from there. But I think he probably would have hit that yards created multiplier, and that would have made him the second-best running back prospect we've ever seen behind just Saquon Barkley. So he is that good. You know, he is 21 years old, 5'11", 215 pounds, elite athleticism, receiving upside, everything you could possibly ask for in what has been pretty much a rotting running back landscape the last couple of years. Now, that's enough of Bijan talk for today. We're going to go down to B tier, or A tier actually. And the first running back we'll talk about is going to be Brees Hall. And I think Brees Hall honestly is a good case to be an S tier if it wasn't for the ACL tear. But let's talk about what Brees Hall did before the ACL tear because it was truly, truly magical. This is his points per game before the ACL injury. He was the RB8 in points per game despite not even officially starting a game until week six. So week seven, he tears his ACL, literally got his first start the week before, which is heartbreaking. I'm a Jets fan. It, it truly does suck what happened with Brees Hall. But it is insane. You know, he is dropping out here 15, 15, 27.7, and then he drops 27.7. Like, okay, he needs to be the starting running back over Michael Carter. He comes out here another 20-point game. He comes out against the Broncos and takes like a, a end around where they're in a package with Michael Carter and Brees Hall, and he runs that way to the house, and then he tears his ACL like the next drive or something. Absolutely brutal, but up until then, what he was doing was magical, especially because something that I echo a ton uh, when we talk about redraft is rookie running backs, they score their points in the back half of the season, right? Think about Jonathan Taylor, like through like eight weeks, people were kind of like souring on Jonathan Taylor. And then the back half, he just goes crazy. He's like a top three running back in points per game and was a league winner. We saw the same thing kind of like Kenneth Walker last year, you know, through the first like four weeks, he's behind Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny goes down. Kenneth Walker's a league winner. Uh, you see the same thing with uh, Chubb, right? Chubb is there. 
uh, Carlos Hyde gets traded. Chubb is a league winner down the stretch. So a lot of these rookie running backs, they put their best stuff in the back half of the season. Brees Hall was already a top eight running back in points per game. He only started one of those six games, and we could reasonably say that he would have done better in the back half as most rookie running backs do. So huge bummer, but also it's like, man, like what could have been like for real? And this is a guy who is, you know, 21 years old. He's still very young. There's still a lot of promise here. And I think the other thing to be really excited about is that his receiving metrics were so strong as well. This was a guy we knew could catch out of school, but I think he really outdid himself in terms of what he put on paper through those first six weeks of the NFL season. He went out there and put up 30 targets, which was fifth among all running backs. Again, he wasn't even starting. He averaged five targets per game without even being listed as a starter until that final week. And it's not like he's just eating dump offs out of the backfield from like Joe Flacco or Zach Wilson or whatever. His ADOT was 5.3 yards, a full 2.3 yards higher than the next highest guy in Naeem Hines. Like these guys are all legit pass catchers. You know, Corderell Patterson, Naeem Hines, Amir Abdullah, James Cook, uh, of course, you know, Pollard, Antonio Gibson, Kamara, McCaffrey towards the bottom. This is a guy who isn't just eating up dump offs. He's actually working downfield and making, you know, catches downfield and running actual routes. So there is a lot to like here. Also, two yards per uh, yards per out run, the highest on this list as well. So the receiving is there. The production was there. This is a guy who I think is a legit pass catcher at running back. I think he can challenge for 1,000-plus rushing yards. I think he can challenge for 70-plus receptions, and he's just 21 years old. Now, this is all good and well. You guys are all going to say, but Ron, this is a guy who just tore his ACL. So everything you just said, like, come on now. He's got to work back from an ACL tear. And I get the ACL tear concern. But I think we sort of have a sour taste in our mouth from one Saquon Barkley, who Saquon, he tore his ACL, he came back, was a little bit slow, uh, two 20-point games, twisted his ankle, and that was it. Then you have J.K. Dobbins. And J.K. Dobbins, the issue with comparing him to J.K. Dobbins is J.K. Dobbins had not just an ACL, but it was like an MCL, PCL. Uh, he like even had like a, a hip damage. Like It was an absolute brutal tear. Brees Hall's was very simply week seven, so it's still pretty early in the season, and it was just a clean tear. He's a young, explosive athlete. He's just 21 years old. You know, these are some of your prime years where you should be able to bounce back a little bit faster than if you were, you know, 25, 26. And this is a uh, physical therapist, I believe, on Twitter, Jeff Mueller. This is a tweet from this is a tweet from like a month or two ago, and he said, Brees Hall is roughly 11 weeks out from surgery at this pacing. This is fantastic progress on an alter G. I think that's like the machine that he's running on, trending towards being a full goal by week one of the 2023 season, nine months, 27 days from surgery. Do not fade. And I agree with him. I, you can call me a, a Jets homer and I'm possibly being one, but the way that they're leading on with his recovery from the ACL tear, the way that it was very clean and was early on in the season, he's very young, he's explosive. I sort of think he's going to be good to go for week one and have a full workload by like week three, week four, and not really skip much of a beat. So I love all the discounts you're getting on him in redraft. He's still going to be a, a heavy price in Dynasty, but that's where I'll have Brees Hall. Just because I think he offers, you know, Bijan Light, where he's 21 years old, can catch passes, is explosive. You just have to sort of uh, trust the ACL, and that's why he's in that second tier. Now at RB3, this is where it gets tough. And I go back and forth on this. It seems like every time that I do these dynasty rankings updates, but for now we'll have Jonathan Taylor at RB3. <laughs> and he's kind of tough. He's 24. 
He's still holding a bunch of value as like one of the league's like best pure rushers where he's seen at like 24. He's explosive. He is one of the best running backs in the league. I'm not talking about fantasy perspective, but just, you know, pure running back. I think that he would be, you know, probably in the top five. He's coming off a down year. He had injuries. He was the RB1 overall the year before that. And I'm open to putting McCaffrey ahead. But I just like the safety and the insulation of Jonathan Taylor being a young running back with 20-plus points per game in his range of outcomes. We've already seen it. He kind of holds value as just being a really talented running back who's also young. But I do get that that's only going to last so long. You know, once he's 25, 26, and the market starts to see him as an aging running back who doesn't catch passes, you start heading, you know, from top three running back in Dynasty area to... Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, you know, these guys who are are good, but they're never going to catch, you know, 70 plus passes and be the RB1 overall in fantasy and they're aging. So that's really the issue with Jonathan Taylor. I think we're getting to that point. But like I said, in a in sort of the current NFL landscape right now where we haven't had a legendary running back season since Kamara, which is like, you know, 23 plus points per game. There's really so few guys that have access to that in JT is one of the few running backs that feels like he holds some value, you know, in terms of insulation. Like after the season, if he has a top five point per game season, he should probably still be in that like round two, three area of startups at the absolute worst. So I think he's fine to bet on now, but it is definitely something where you sort of have to look over your shoulder, you know, because if he has another injury riddled season or a disappointing season, then he drops down the Josh Jacobs area. So that's kind of the issue with him. Now he does have Steichen coming in from the Eagles, which is exciting where, Miles Sanders and Jonathan Taylor aren't similar runnings, running backs per se, but they are similar in that Miles Sanders isn't a McCaffrey-level receiver. He's a, you know, a north and south runner, and I think that Steichen is going to use Taylor in that same role, right? Miles Sanders had a career year. We could see Steichen kind of like want to funnel his offense through Jonathan Taylor, if that makes sense, and that's exciting. We could see a bump in efficiency. They bring in a rushing quarterback. If they bring in, you know, Anthony Richardson, as much as it could hold the the offense back, you kind of get the efficiency boost of a rushing quarterback, right? With like Jacob Dobbins averaging six yards per carry with Lamar Jackson. Uh, same thing with like Gus Edwards in that offense. You get kind of a rising tide lifting all the ships there while, you know, the receiving profile was never there to begin with. So it's not as big of a negative if a rushing quarterback comes in. Now, after that, we have McCaffrey to be the last running back in this tier. I'm honestly very open to putting Jonathan Taylor ahead of him. Like I said, like I literally flip flip flop on this every time. It just feels like it just feels like on the trade market you could get more for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, in his projectable points per game in in 2023, isn't that far off from McCaffrey? Now with McCaffrey, it's pretty simple. You know, we don't really have to dive too deep on McCaffrey. His value will always be higher in season when he's scoring points. So that's why he's a difficult asset to evaluate because if you're a contender, he has a ton of utility. If not, you know, you probably can't even get really more than just a random first rounder from any like non-contender for McCaffrey. So he's an issue where on the trade market, you're kind of strapped with him. Like I have him in a few leagues there's no one knocking on my door saying, hey, I'll pay two first plus for your Christian McCaffrey. It's just not going to happen. It's one of those things where, like, I've seen him go, you know, second round and start That's probably where he should go. And it's kind of that thing where, like, you drive the car off the lot and it loses value. That's kind of the thing that happens with McCaffrey when you take him in a startup. Like, there's probably only three teams after the startup that are, like, truly think that they're contending and would pay, you know, like 90% or more of the sticker price that you paid for McCaffrey. So that's kind of the issue with him. But he's scoring points. He's giving you an advantage over most of the other running backs out there. And this is just what it is. Since he's came into the league in 2017, 
these are all the running backs or, you know, the top like 10 or so running backs in points per game. He's at 22.3 or 1.3. No one else is even over 20. So that's what you're getting. You're getting a massive amount of win equity, wins above replacement, whatever. It's just that it'll be tough to ever sell him for a price that equals the utility he's giving a contending team, if that makes sense. That's kind of the thing you have to wrestle with uh, with McCaffrey. Again, 27-year-old running back is going to be tough to get a return on him. It's also, he's heading towards that age, you know, 27, where like we saw Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Zeke, where they start to lose their juice. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that Cliff is coming for CMC right this season, but it's coming eventually. Uh, I'm also open to the idea that, you know, being a better receiver, that his, his game ages a little bit better. Like we see, uh, I think Marshall Falk was a guy who was like very productive into his 30s. So I'm open to that idea. That's why I still have him as, you know, in the same tier as Brees Hall and, and uh, Jonathan Taylor. I think Christian McCaffrey probably on the whole is a buy. Now, after that, we have our RB5. And this is where I'm prepared for you guys to get in the comments and throw tomatoes at me. But hear me out. Just hear me out on this one, okay? Every other running back I'll talk about in this tier has their flaws. Just give me Jameer Gibbs. He's the youngest running back in this group by a lot. He is. He just turned 21 on March 20th. So he's like fresh 21 uh, really, really young, and he should hold value a little bit better than these other running backs. Now, the other running backs in this tier, I'll do a little bit of a spoiler here, are going to be Travis Etienne and Kenneth Walker. I think that's kind of the next tier here of dynasty running backs. And this has sort of been my philosophy as of late on running backs, you know, that are young. And this is a tweet I had. If you, you can check, you know, keep trade cut in like early August, late September, Kenneth Walker was around like RB 20 ish in dynasty rankings. And I was doing a dynasty ranking up update for October. And I put Kenneth Walker at my RB six. And really what it was is just that I saw that he was 21 and it really doesn't take a lot to wow dynasty owners, like to bet on a running back heading into year two. You only have to do so much. He doesn't show a little bit of a flash. Like acres literally had what two, 20 plus carry games like down the stretch in his rookie year and boom he was a late second round startup pick that's all you have to do so when you take a guy like Kenneth Walker you just have to move that profile up I think it was like right after the Rashad Penny I don't even think it was the Rashad Penny stuff I think I just had him there just because you know he could you know sort of find his way in there find the role figure it out all you need is a stretch of games and the dynasty community will you know generate a ton of hype for you heading into year two and that's kind of what I'm doing here with Jameer Gibbs. Now, when we look at Kenneth Walker, he is a top five dynasty running back right now. Again, I called it a little bit early to have him at RB6, and he didn't really do anything too crazy for a rookie running back. To, remember, this is a guy who went from RB20 to top five running back. He's still a top five running back value in dynasty. Now, I will, I will say some of it is because the running back landscape isn't so good, but it's just like it's a very low bar you have to climb to get pushed up in dynasty so he went from you know he had rb 16 in points per game if you just want to count week five on which was the first game that he had a 50 percent or better snap share rb 11 in points per game which was like 15 points per game that's like a replacement level running back right he had rashad penny go down 15 points per game is the expectation if we're being honest right uh, david montgomery goes down we've seen a Khalil herbert average like 15 points per game in the wake of david montgomery we've seen the same thing with samaj p ryan right so it's really not all that crazy that when rashad penny came down and or went down and Kenneth Walker was competing with Travis Homer uh and DJ Dallas that he put up 15 points per game that's the expectation he didn't do anything much more crazy than that during that span though he was 30th in targets at 27 41st in yards per out run at 60 or at 0.66 he's a limited receiver and 
that was the issue coming out of college, right? The, the, the big red flag on him coming out of school was this guy isn't going to catch passes. He didn't catch passes at school. He's not going to catch passes in the NFL. That was kind of like a, a film uh, analytics debate. And he comes to the NFL. He doesn't catch passes. And even still with that flaw, he is valued as a top five dynasty running back. So where I think that that comes over and sort of uh, shines itself with Gibbs is that Gibbs is young. He's a rookie running back. And the big red flag for him is he's small. He's sub 200 pounds. Is he going to be used on the goal line? And what I'm trying to say is, yes, that's a concern. That's a red flag. But if he just has like 12 to 15 points per game in year one, and he doesn't even prove to us that he can run on the goal line, there's still going to be enough goodwill from the the goodwill from dynasty community to push him up even still and say, you know what? It was only year one, maybe year two, year three. He can improve on that. And that's kind of the deal with Jameer Gibbs where Similar to Kenneth Walker, he has a big glaring red flag, but I'd rather have the guy who's a year younger and is catching passes. I think catching passes is a much tougher skill to learn as a running back than it is just being a, you know, given the opportunity to score a touchdown on the goal line. So that's why I like Jameer Gibbs, 21-year-old running back, 4-3 speed. There's a lot to like here, and he has a receiving profile that really only goes toe-to-toe with Christian McCaffrey when we're talking about, you know, round one round two running backs. This is him next to, you know, every legendary running back that you saw earlier, you know, McCaffrey, Saquon, Fournette. Year one blows everyone out. Him and McCaffrey year two. And then down year in year three, but you have to remember he was at Alabama. So they're going to have a bunch of, you know, wide receivers out there that are like highly recruited prospects and everything. They're going to have running backs behind them. And even still, he was kind of in the upper echelon of those guys, even ahead of Bijan Robinson. So there's a lot to like here. Again, give me the young guy. I get that there's a red flag here, but it's nothing that his dynasty value won't overcome. And I know I use Kenneth Walker as an example there, but you can like pull up literally every example. Like Dobbins had like not a great rookie year. Like I think his rookie year was actually similar to uh, Kenneth Walker's of just, you know, sort of found his way into the lineup was like a back end RB1, like high end RB2. Uh, again, Akers, just like a, a couple 20-plus carry games. You had Miles Sanders and DeAndre Swift just hovering like that 13, 14-point-per-game area, show that they could catch passes and have some juice. Boom, second-round startup value picks. So that's kind of the trajectory that Jameer Gibbs is on. He's a top-six pick in what is a really stacked 2023 class, uh, at least at the top. So I just want to make that bet instead of putting my eggs in the basket of a running back going into year two with a lot more pressure to prove that red flag, right? Kenneth Walker, if he comes out here this year, back end RB1, and he doesn't catch passes, he goes from like a top five running back in Dynasty to, you know, top 15-ish. So that's kind of the concern there. And as every year passes, you need to prove that red flag wrong or else you're going to lose value. So I'll just take Jameer Gibbs, who's early on there, already has a receiving profile. Now, ahead of Kenneth Walker... I think it's really close between Kenneth Walker and Travis Etienne. I prefer Travis Etienne ever so slightly. Like, like it is truly, truly razor thin. And this is what it comes down to. This is a stat that I didn't really, uh, I meant to highlight this, but I didn't get to. And it's Kenneth Walker. This is a tweet from Underdog. He has league-wide efficiency ranks out of the 48 qualified running backs. These are his stats among the 48 qualified running backs. Rush yards over expected per attempt, 15th, which is good. But his success rate was 48th. So he's very boom bust. And I don't really care a ton about the boom bust nature of that. But I remember people on Twitter like being vocal about it and being loud about it. Like, like Kenneth Walker isn't good. He's, you know, home run or nothing. Kind of like what tripped up Saquon early on, which I'm just saying that is something that is a slight concern for me. But I think it's something that 
the public will care more about. And if he continues to be that rusher, maybe that pulls his playing time on the Seahawks, or maybe that just gives him like a sour, like sort of like stigma from the public, which just isn't great. Now, when we talk about Travis Etienne, the reason that I am more willing to bet on him, despite being like almost two years older than Kenneth Walker, and despite Travis Etienne not really catching more passes than Kenneth Walker. We talked about Kenneth Walker, you know, being around like, I think, what, 27 targets is what he had uh, from week five on. Etienne, like weirdly enough, his first game of 50% or more of the snaps was also week five. And if we look at that point on, he had just six more targets than Kenneth Walker at 33. Now, he was at least somewhat efficient where Kenneth Walker was like 0.66 in yards per out run, 41st in the NFL. ETN had a one yards per out run, which is 25th. So it's at least like somewhat better. The only difference between him and Kenneth Walker is that I think ETN was actually a better pure rusher this year. If we look at his stuff, he was fourth in rushing yards over expected per attempt, sixth in success rate, not 48th. Both had similar amount of rushing yards, better yards per attempt from Travis ETN. I think he's a better pure rusher. I don't know if he is... Kenneth Walker, you could maybe argue, is a little bit more uh, a guy that could handle like 20 carries. Like he's a little bit less lean than Travis Etienne, but they're both a little bit light for workhorse type guys. And the reason I'll bet on Etienne is I think that he is as good, if not better, as a pure rusher. And I think that he has the receiving upside. Now, like we talked about Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs doesn't have a ton of pressure in year one to prove that he can score on the goal line. Etienne has to catch passes this year. He has to catch passes this year. If he doesn't catch passes... He's really not much different than like a Josh Jacobs as like a back-end RB1 in Dynasty. And by next season, he'll be 25. So that's really the big thing here is can he catch passes? And the only reason I'm willing to bet on that is honestly just college production. We look here, him and Kenneth Walker are actually very same, uh, very similar year one and year two. Travis Etienne makes a massive jump in year three, getting him to like above 10% of the receiving yard market share at Clemson, which is going to have guys like, you know, like T. Higgins and Justin Ross. Uh, Amari Rogers, a really stacked spot there. And he goes above, you know, where the average top, I think that's average top 24 running back or average top 12 running back. It's the average top 12 running back. And then in year four, way above that. So maybe he has a similar path in the NFL where, you know, year one and year two are a little bit quiet. And then year three, he really explodes in the receiving game. I'm still willing to bet that the upside is there, but I'm also fully aware that if the receiving doesn't come this year and he's a 25-year-old running back that's a pure rusher, he gets vaulted back into D tier. But I think that's kind of a, a risky running with Kenneth Walker as well. If he doesn't catch passes, I would just rather bet on ETN to catch passes just based off of what we saw in school. So after that, we have Kenneth Walker, but we're not going to really talk about him much just because like, I feel like we've talked about Kenneth Walker uh, plenty here. But at the end of the day, he is like, I want to say uh, he's... In underdogs like top 12 ADP for running backs. He's 22 years old. So he'll full, he'll hold value just fine for another year where he will probably produce it as like an RB1. He'll be like, what, 23 going into next year. So he has some insulation there. But eventually, unless if he is, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, where he can give you 20 plus points per game on like monster efficiency, he's going to be sliding down the ranks as well. I think these are two guys where if we look like up, if we look up in a couple of years and they sort of turn out, uh, almost exactly how like DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers did. Of course, Dobbins and Akers had injuries, but I'm just saying as guys who popped early on but never took that next step and kind of got flushed to like the you know RB2s and Dynasty, it wouldn't shock me at all, but I think that's this is kind of where you have to rank them for now. Uh, next up, we have C-tier, and we'll go Saquon Barkley here. Now, if Saquon was the Saquon that we knew and love and he was still catching you know 90-plus passes like he did in year one, he'd go right here. He'd go right here, but... 
and I hate to say this, guys, like, I'm not going to sit here and say that Saquon, like, lost a step, because I don't think he lost a step. Actually, he probably did. He definitely lost a step from, like, his rookie year. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if we'll see that Saquon ever again. This is a guy who had 91 catches the last time we saw him in 16 or more games. This was his first year since his rookie year with 16 or more games, just 57 catches. And you would think, you know, with Richie James as your wide receiver one, like, I remember going into redraft season, I thought, you know, they had what, like Darius Slayton? They had no wide receivers at all. Saquon Barkley was going to be the focal point of this offense. It didn't really happen that way. Now, of course, you can make the case uh, the wide receivers all suck. They're going to be keying in on Saquon. He's not going to be able to get open. He's not going to be able to be efficient. And I'm open to that idea. But that also means with the additions of Darren Waller, and I guess like to a lesser extent Paris Campbell, and if they draft somebody uh, in the draft at wide receiver, the efficiency will be better, but he won't get marginally more opportunities, which isn't good. Now, when we actually look at the efficiency and stuff, it like it wasn't up to par for what Saquon usually does, you know? And that's just kind of what the bummer is here. His yards per run among like 80 plus qualified running backs, 0.89. That was a less yards per run than Travis Etienne. And this is a guy, Saquon Barkley, who's been one of the most efficient pass catchers since he came into the league, 0.89, 49th in the NFL. And it's not like he's commanding a ton of volume either, just 19.26% of his routes he was targeted on. 31st in the NFL. So we're looking at a guy who's not commanding a lot of volume, or I mean, he's commanding volume because he's getting peppered with targets, but on a per round basis, he's not like demanding targets, which is what we need to see for him to get into that, you know, 80 plus catch range where we'd want him to be. And he's not being ultra efficient on those opportunities. And then you look to that second tweet. He's not all that efficient on the ground either. I, I looked at missed tackles force per attempt, just 13.56%, 64th in this sample, 10.85%. Of his runs were explosive, which is uh, runs of 10-plus yards. That's 40th among running backs. Yards after contact per attempt, 2.78. 53rd among running backs. Elusiveness rating, 37.1. 62nd among running backs. So it's just like, he's not the same guy. Now, like maybe you could say like another year off the ACL, like maybe, maybe he bounces back. And I truly hate to say this, but he's almost trending towards like early decline like Zeke Elliott and Dalvin Cook where we're just looking at like RB1s on projected volume uh you know somewhere in like that 50 to 60 catch range like 20 points per game sure but not the upside to do more with it I'm somewhat open I'm somewhat open that the efficiency can bounce back efficiency can always bounce back it's not sticky year to year it's like man one more year where it looks like this and he's not like explosive or elusive or making guys miss. It's like, man, like he's probably just a volume dependent RB1, which is fine. That's kind of where I have him here, right? In this C tier. But that's why he's not up here with, with CMC, for me at least, uh, is because the efficiency isn't there. The receiving volume isn't there. He is just going to kind of be a guy who's going to give you 18 plus touches, challenge for 20 plus points per game. And that'll be that. That's not a terrible thing, but it's not, you know, Saquon that like I was really betting on the upside of last offseason. Now, again, efficiency might be better. I don't think he's going to command much more volume than that, like, 60-catch area. Maybe the efficiency will be better. Maybe the offense will be better with Darren Waller and everything in year two. So I'm open to that. Again, I think he's going to be fine. I think he'll be, you know, he'll still be in my top five running back rankings for redraft. But this idea of, like, Saquon having legendary 25-point-per-game upside, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that's there anymore. Now, our RB9 here is going to be kind of a, a similar asset, and it's going to be uh, Austin Eckler. 
and he's a weird read right now. He has back-to-back seasons as a top two point per game running back, 20 plus points per game, but he's now at age 28. Can the efficiency repeat? He's now at 18 plus touchdowns in each of his last two years. He leads the league in fantasy points over expectation per game. So what is he doing on top of his volume? He, he has produced 4.1 fantasy points over expected per game since 2021, which is absolutely insane. That means if his volume is just 20 points per game, he is going to give you 24 points per game. That is insane. Now, this is the issue. Efficiency is not sticky year to year. So we have this chart, which seems like kind of uh, tough to read, but EP per game is expected points. So that's volume. Uh, EP per game rank is just, you know, among running backs, where did he rank? FPOE per game is fantasy points over expectation. So how many more points is he scoring than his expected points and then his rank? And every year in the league, he has been positive, right? So he was 2.4 fantasy points over expected per game, 2.3, 4.1, then 0.7. So he came back down to earth, then 4.9, then 3.3. If this hits like, you know, minus 0.5, which it can, things start to fall apart a little bit. We're looking at a, a 28-year-old running back putting up like 18.5 points per game, which isn't terrible, but it's just not a guy who's going to hold a lot of value. And he's also, if he's not putting up 20-plus points per game, he's also not enough of a difference maker to kind of justify that, if that makes sense. And here's kind of the doomsday scenario. Uh, Or not the doomsday scenario. I I wouldn't call it the doomsday scenario, but a sobering table here is the same thing, but with Alvin Kamara. Now, Alvin Kamara was one of the most crazy FPOE per game. Six point, dude, he went over six twice. He 6.5 fantasy points over expected per game in year one, 6.4 in year two. If you look at Eckler, he never went higher than five. And it, Kamara had two years of six plus in his first four years. And ever since there, now 6.4, that was a legendary upside season. That's what has to happen. You have to have, you know, four plus FPOE per game, you know, somewhere in that 19 expected points per game. That's what he did that year. But then ever since then, Minus 0.5, minus 0.4. So that could be coming for Eckler. And Kamara is like younger than Eckler. So maybe Kamara's bounces back. But I'm just saying efficiency isn't sticky year to year. A guy like Kamara who was so talented, so efficient early on in his career, has had back-to-back years now of down efficiency. It could be coming for Eckler. Now, I'm not saying it's going to come this year, but it's going to happen eventually. And when that happens, his value kind of falls out from underneath him. Now, the other issue with Eckler, we have this added wrinkle of uncertainty with the whole situation surrounding his trade request with the Chargers. This is the perfect spot. Again, 18-plus touchdowns the last two years is going to be very difficult to replicate, not in an offense with Justin Herbert. So you move him to, like, I can't even think of, like, who would even want him. Uh, maybe there's some place where he could replicate it, like maybe the Dolphins. He could kind of challenge for, like, 18-plus, but it's like, man, like, that is so... Uh, chemistry dependent with him and Herbert and scheme dependent. And there's honestly a lot of games last year without Keenan Allen and without Mike Williams that he kind of stepped up in. You even have the off chance that he uh, like holds out for a new deal and they don't get a trade done. And he like misses the first few games. A lot of uncertainty here. Uh, I would say Justin Herbert and Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator are kind of like the best possible spots for Eckler. So anywhere he goes is a loss of value. We've seen running backs late in the career switch teams and it just doesn't go well. Right. Le'Veon Bell comes to mind on my jets. So, there's some red flags here. He's a 28-year-old disgruntled running back, but he could also be the cheapest way to get 20-plus points per game at the running back position. So that's kind of the push and pull with Eckler and how I kind of see it. Now, we have our last tier here. This is a weird tier. These are guys you can pretty easily project as like RB1s for 2023, but they also have a lot of question marks in terms of holding value long-term. 
And first of all, we'll have Ramondre Stevenson. And I kind of want to talk about Ramondre Stevenson here because you guys all know I don't love the day three running backs. I, I've been having Damian Pierce as a sell ever since he's been producing points in the NFL. Uh, I was trying to get out on James Robinson early, trying to get out on Elijah Mitchell early. Uh, Phil Lindsay uh, is another one of those like day three guys. And what happens is, is teams don't respect these guys at all. They don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We saw the Jaguars with James Robinson. They turn around, draft Travis Etienne in the first round. So these guys are given no respect, no you know benefit of the doubt. Teams love to replace these guys. It's very weird, but it's just how it works. Now, the only reason I'm comfortable with Ramondre Stevenson this high, despite being a day three running back, is because of the receiving upside. He was third among all running backs with 89 targets behind just McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. He was fourth in target share at 17.3%. When it comes to receiving, he is in that next tier just behind McCaffrey and Eckler, and that's special. And it's really special because he's doing it at 231 pounds. 89 targets at 231 pounds. Eckler and CMC are both like 199 to like 202 pounds. So you have like 30 pounds on those small running backs, which makes him such like a rare talent where he can bang between the tackles, rush for over a thousand yards. I mean, that Eckler hasn't done in his career and he can catch that next tier of passes just below those elite guys at 231 pounds. So he is a really like, he is almost Aaron Jones in a way, but he's like 15 pounds heavier, which is like so rare or like 20 pounds heavier than Aaron Jones. And he also has juice as a runner. He's not just a receiver. He was third in yards at the contact per attempt. He's been like top five the last two years, 11th in elusiveness rating, 11th in rushing yards over expected per attempt. You now have Damian Harris gone. He can be between that, the Packers. I don't know why I'm struggling to talk, but he can be, be all purpose back between the tackles. Something as well that gets not talked about a ton with the Patriots is they're almost like the 49ers in a way where a lot of fantasy points are dedicated to their running game. When Damian Harris was healthy, him and Ramondre were both kind of startable. They, they usually have two running backs producing a ton, but if they don't have another running back, James Robinson wasn't great last year. Like maybe Pierre Strong does something, but they leaned on him as a bell cow last year. We probably see that continue this year. Really the only concern is surviving the draft. And that's kind of what it comes down to for uh, most of the running backs in this tier, surviving the draft. If the Patriots draft Bijan in round one, it wouldn't shock me. If they draft Charbonnet or Gibbs in round two, it wouldn't shock me either just because Bill Belichick is such a loose cannon, right? Cole Strange last year, no one saw that in the first round. So that's kind of the thing you have to keep your head on a swivel with when it comes to Ramondre. Now, after that, we have Josh Jacobs as our RB11, and he's coming off a career year. Uh, he was the RB3 in points per game. He had 19.3 points per game, and Jacobs, to me, is like just fine. You know, you can project him for like, you know, 1,200-plus rushing yards, 8-plus touchdowns, 40-plus catches on the lowest of ends, and that's fine. You know, that puts him as like a like 17, 18 plus point per game guy that's 25 years old at running back. And that's fine. You can only discount that profile so far. The issue is for him to like really hit that like 20 plus point per game upside where chasing like legendary upside that I want my running backs to have access to when I'm, you know, holding top 12 value. It'd be really tough. You, you probably would have to have another career rushing year like that. And then like 20 touchdowns uh, would get him there. Now he's never going to be, you know, Eckler CMC, but his 50-plus receptions that he's hit in the last two years, that's great. I mean, 11.8% target share was 13th in the NFL among running backs. That is much more than, like, your Nick Chubbs, right? He is not Nick Chubb. He is somebody that is catching passes at a decent rate, which is fine. So you kind of see Josh Jacobs. Like, Josh Jacobs, to me, is, like, almost uh, right before Zeke was bad, 
where like you could pencil in Zeke for like 18 plus points per game, 50 plus receptions and be good. And he, he could challenge for, you know, that 20 plus points per game uh, when the Cowboys were really humming and the offense was elite. I think that's what you're looking at with Josh Jacobs. I think for him to hit his like super, super high ceiling of like 20 plus points per game, maybe RB1 overall, his offense has to be really good. So that's all good and fine. His production is fine. It's not going to wow you in terms of upside, but I can't just like push him down because I don't love the profile. Now, the really the only concerns you have here is that he's on a one-year deal with the Raiders. Running backs start to, to decline after their first contract. I will say, though, he's 25 years old, so I'm not really expecting that just, just yet. But if he leaves for a new team, that's a little bit of an issue. We see running backs that change teams after their first uh, contract. Things get dicey. So there is a lot of risk after this year. But there's a lot of risk with all of these running. Like the running back landscape is so rough right now. There's uncertainty with everybody, right? Dalvin Cook could get moved. Joe Mixon has legal stuff. Alvin Kamara has legal stuff. Everybody's got something going on. So, uh, you know, it, at a certain point, you have to just kind of look, like hold your nose and just look past the red flags. Now, the last guy we have here is Tony Pollard. And Tony Pollard has a strong case to be at the top of this tier. Or even if you wanted to put him in here, uh, I'd be open to it. But I want to wait until after the draft. Jerry Jones is a loose cannon. Like Belichick, he could take Bijan Robinson in the first round. He could take Jameer Gibbs. He could take Zach Charbonnet. Uh, actually, Charbonnet wouldn't be as much as an issue, but Gibbs and Bijan would be pretty devastating to the upside here. But when we talk about Tony Pollard, he is sort of in that Alvin Kamara, Eckler, uh, Aaron Jones mold of these guys who are undersized, but just consistent efficiency monsters, which is rare, right? Again, efficiency isn't sticky year to year, but with these guys, it seems to hang around with them. And this is a guy in Pollard who led all running backs last year in fantasy points over expected per game. He was ahead of Eckler, Chubb, Penny, all of those guys. He was RB8 in points per game despite just having a 48.1% opportunity share, which was 34th in the NFL. So he was producing as a top eight running back despite not even having a top 32 opportunity share. He was third in rushing yards over expected per attempt, fourth in rush grade, second in yards after contact per attempt. Just a really talented running back dating back like the last three years. You can look at any efficiency metric in the run game. Pollard is going to pop in it. Now, he's also not as small as like people like to lead on. Six foot, 210 pounds is not small at all. That's like bigger than McCaffrey. That's way bigger than Austin Eckler. Uh, of course, it's not, you know, like true like bell cow type size, but it's not like that's not small. Like six foot, 210 pounds is a fine size. Now, I, I think like what Charbonnet is like six foot, 214, and he's looked at as like a kind of like a bell cow workhorse profile. So, what, like a five pound difference uh, isn't doing a ton. Now, in three games, three career games without Zeke Elliott, Pollard has a 28.9 point per game mark. Now, I will say, of course, we're not expecting 28.9 points per game. That would be, you know, challenging what McCaffrey did at his peak. But over a full season of him having uh, almost like an Austin Eckler plus role where, you know, Tony Pollard had 1,000 rushing yards last year. Eckler has never done that before. And that was as, you know, the second running back in the pecking order. So, you know, he is somebody that can challenge for that Eckler-McCaffrey receiving efficiency and then also be a thousand plus rushing yard threat out of the backfield score touchdowns on efficiency it's all very very excited but like josh jacobs this is a 26 year old running back on a one-year deal so there's a lot of uncertainty here they could draft a running back that they're going to have like behind him that would you know be the next guy up after this deal is over so this is kind of a you know mid-range RB1 that's kind of a one-year rental unless if he somehow gets an extension with the Cowboys so that's kind of the concern here super fragile uh, asset all of these running backs are honestly 
if you are not contending and you're rebuilding, all of these running backs, even Bijan, even Brees, even Gibbs, should be off your team. They're fragile assets. There's a lot that can go wrong, but this is kind of how I see the top 12, just in terms of from where I'm sitting. And I will say some other guys that I would have in D tier would be Javante, Najee Harris, and Nick Chubb. I only got so much time. This is already 45 minutes, and I only did 12 running backs. So this is what we're going to get to today. Now, as always, those are my top 12. If you want to see more than that, I have my top, I have like my top 90 running backs ranked for Dynasty Leagues. You have my RS grades for all of them. You have the rookies in there as well. So you can see where, where I have Charbonnet among these guys. You can see where I have, you know, Spears and uh, Roshan Johnson and all of your favorite running back prospects are all on there on patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. That'll be down below in the description, down below in the comments section. Pinned at the top has all of that good stuff. RS grades, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, buy sell recommendations, all of that good stuff and more. Now, I think we're going to do wide receivers tomorrow. Let me know down below in the comments. Quarterback and tight end videos almost never do as well, but I feel like there's so much uh I feel like there's so much around quarterbacks right now with the landscape of the quarterbacks, with you know, like should Richardson and Stroud and Young be ahead of Dak Prescott? Should I make a, a video on quarterbacks? Maybe I'll do one on tight ends. Let me know if that's something you want to see down below. Now, as always, if you watch the video, I appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you comment, make sure you have post notifications on because we're gonna be posting for real from here through the NFL draft. As always, I love you guys, and I will see y'all in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Ten oaks, Adam's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from misdemeanor.